Hello once again, listener, and I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology Podcast in conversation with, I'm Hugh Thomas, the Deputy Editor. Joining me in conversation today is Professor Edouard Louis, who is full professor of gastroenterology at Liège University and head of the Department of Gastroenterology at CHU Liège. For more than 30 years, he's been involved in translational and clinical research in inflammatory bowel disease. Now, we're going to be talking about the SPARE trial, which is a multi-centre, open-label, randomised controlled trial that has just gone online, investigating the effect of withdrawal of infliximab or concomitant immunosuppressant therapy in patients with Crohn's disease. So in sum, 67 patients were randomly assigned to continue their combination therapy, 71 patients were assigned to infliximab withdrawal, and 69 were randomly assigned to immunosuppressant withdrawal. Professor Louis, welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for taking the time to join to join us today. Hello, thank you. Uh, so, just to start us off, then I think I think it's fair to say that treatment de-escalation is is quite a hot topic in IBD at the moment. And just taking us right back to the fundamentals, I was just wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview in terms of what treatment de-escalation entails, what are the key motivations for it, and and, and what are the risks that need to be considered. So the key motivation are both on the doctor side and the patient side, actually. For a patient, taking a drug forever is always something which is difficult to imagine. And every patient, even the ones who have suffered from their disease, they often want to consider and, and be informed about the possibility of treatment de-escalation. And for them, it's a bit a kind of reappropriation of their own disease and, 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 its, and its control. So psychologically, that's an important topic for patients, even if many patients, when they have suffered, they do not want finally to stop, but they want to be informed, and some of them really want to, to, to stop therapy. So that, that's the first point. From the doctor's side, uh, all these drugs have some side effects and some long-term risks. Obviously, in the vast majority, the benefit is higher than these risks, but still, these risks exist, and we have to consider at each time point whether continuing the drug is better for the patient than stopping the drug. And the last point uh, is is the, the cost. Obviously, with the uh, biosimilars that we have now for anti-TNF, for example, the cost has decreased a lot, but still, the de-escalation, the, 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 the trial we have done was about anti-TNF de-escalation, but the concept of de-escalation is going beyond that and also looking at drugs which are more expensive and even biosimilar, maybe still some exp- in some countries still expensive. So those are, I would say, the three main reasons for, for considering de-escalation. Wonderful. Um, so obviously we're here to talk about the SPARE trial, which uh, is, is about the withdrawal of infliximab or, or these concomitant immunosuppressants uh, in patients on combo therapy who have Crohn's disease. Now, there's been a little bit, of, little bit more data accrued, I think, in the past couple of years. But before you conducted the SPARE trial, before you even designed it, what data was there available to support this decision making about treatment de-escalation? Uh, there was only a uh, low level of evidence, I would say, because there was no uh, randomized controlled trial. And so we had only uh, retrospective or prospective cohorts having looked at the numbers and having looked at the uh, factors associated with the risk of relapse. So that was uh, a good piece of knowledge, but still there was no controlled trial at that stage. 
And these, these studies, actually, this cohort just showed that uh, up to half of the patient stopping a, a biologic and an anti-TNF here would relapse within one to two years. And it was very similar in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And it was actually, interestingly, very similar across all the studies, being retrospective and prospective. There was a, a good, uh, I would say, uh, similarity between the results that was op- were observed in, in, these, uh, in these studies and the meta-analysis went on and concluded that the, the, the numbers were around indeed 50% over, over one to two years. So it, it means that actually for 50%, maybe it's not useful to stop. But for the other half, it may be useful to stop and to have a, a drug-free period for some time. But the other thing which was also demonstrated in these preliminary studies what, was that most of the patients who were retreated when they relapsed, actually uh, did well. They, they recaptured remission quite rapidly and they did not develop complication over the long run. So it was also very reassuring. So having that in mind, we were thinking, oh, okay, there is a, a, a significant proportion of patients who are relapsing, but most of them we can recapture remission. And for the other, we have a drug-free uh, interval. So th- there is something there which motivated us to, to try to go uh, beyond that and, and, and continue to, to study this strategy of treatment. Wonderful. I mean, I think that sets the groundwork really well for what we're going to talk about next, which is the spare trial itself and, and uh, you know, what key decisions you had to make around the design of the trial and why you were focusing on those areas. So can you just take us through that a little bit? Yeah, actually, we, we have been working on this trial for three to four years and, and consulting many experts in the field, having their advice and then trying to find the, the, the right uh, design for the study. Because the, the easiest things to do was to do a, a, a randomized controlled trial between just continuing infliximab and, or anti-TNF and stopping the anti-TNF. But actually, it was not very exciting for us because we knew the results. Because from, uh, uh, I would say, real-life cohorts and some other prospective uh, cohorts, we knew that actually patients continuing the anti-TNF, the relapse rate was only around 10% per year, so not very high. And the other group, it would have been, as I said just earlier, 50% over one year. So we we had this information. And obviously, when you do a a randomized controlled trial, you may be not exactly exactly at this level, but we were expecting something close to that. So it was a bit, uh, a huge amount of energy, as you know, and time to to develop such trials to end up with something that we knew. So what we wanted to do is a trial that would show that, confirm that in in a a, uh, controlled way, I would say, but also to look at the time spent in remission when those patients relapsing would be retreated. Because that was the key aspect. Because we were thinking if when the patient relapsed, they are rapidly retreated and put back in remission, there is no harm from the, for the patient. And for the one who not relapse, who are not relapsing, we, we have a, a clear benefit. So we had to build a design which would answer the two questions. It's all, always a bit tricky and difficult to, to design a trial with two co-primary endpoints. But in this situation, it was necessary for us to bring something new, I would say, to our knowledge. And that's why we uh, built this trial with two co-primary endpoints. The first one, which was uh, an endpoint which was designed as a superiority study. And we postulated and we made the hypothesis that actually the patient continuing infliximab would have 
significantly less relapse than the one who would stop. And so th that would be superior to the one uh, who would stop from that point of view. But at the same time, the time spent in remission by the patient stopping infliximab and being retreated when they would relapse would not be inferior to the time spent in remission of the groups continuing infliximab. And that was the originality of the design and that was what we wanted to bring something new to the knowledge. And just to clarify then, the, the time period for the, uh, for the interventions and in, in uh, in the study then? So the patients had to be in uh, stable steroid-free remission for one year and in steroid-free remission, steroid-free for six months. And then they, they were randomized at baseline and the follow-up time was two years. So the, the, it was a two-year uh, study uh, and uh, the patient obviously were retreated when the relapse occurred. And then when the relapse occurred, they were retreated and they were kept then under the same treatment until the end. Uh, there was no new attempt to stop when there was a relapse. And the, the other thing is that within the trial, we also uh, foresaw uh, the uh, possibility to optimize therapy. Even in the group where there was no uh, drug withdrawal, the patients were allowed to optimize their treatment with infliximab as it is done in, in, in routine practice. And the one who relapsed could be retreated and beyond that, if necessary, could be also optimized to standard uh, uh, optimized therapy, I would say. Fantastic. And so then moving on to the overall findings for the trial, what were the, the, the key findings then for your, your two co-primary endpoints and, and some of these key secondary endpoints as well that you had? So the, the first thing which is very easy is, is to say that we confirmed that indeed the patient who stopped infliximab uh, had more relapse uh, than the patient who did, did not stop infliximab. And we were actually very close to the hypothesis I just uh, cited before. We were around, uh, I would say, between 5 and 10% of relapse in the group uh, continuing infliximab. We were a bit lower than, in ex than expected in the patient stopping uh, infliximab. It was around 35%. And probably because the patients who were selected in this trial were patients who were, I would say, in deeper state of remission than the one we studied it in the previous cohort because uh, clinicians have been educated actually to propose uh, de-escalation mainly in patients being in deep state of remission including endoscopic healing and things like that. But we were very close to the hypothesis and it confirmed indeed the superiority of, of continuing the treatment. As far as the, uh, the second co-primary endpoint, which was the non-inferiority, the non-inferiority hypothesis, it's always a bit difficult to understand and to express, but the, the non-inferiority hypothesis was rejected, which means that we cannot conclude that it is not inferior as far as the time spent in remission to stop infliximab as compared to continue infliximab. We cannot conclude from that that it is superior to continue infliximab as compared to uh, uh, stop infliximab. We just can say it is the, the non-inferiority hypothesis is rejected. But in the meantime, when we look at the raw data and at the time spent in remission, we could show actually that the difference in the time spent in remission between patients stopping infliximab and patients continuing infliximab was only around two weeks over two years. So the thing which the patients are uh, losing actually by trying to stop over two years is 
two weeks uh, uh, in remission. And, and according to surveys that we performed in the setting of the biocycle project in which the SPARE trial was also uh, actually included, eh, which was a, a European Commission-supported project, actually, by Horizon 2020. So this survey, which was made mainly in the States and in France, showed that the majority of the patient would accept this level of difference, so something like two to three weeks over two years of active disease to be able to try to de-escalate. So it's interesting because despite the fact that the non-inferiority hypothesis was rejected, we can estimate that the, the, the numbers that we observed are actually something that resonate with the, the wishes of, of, the, of the patient and the clinicians and, and represent something which is certainly of value for them in their practice, actually. Certainly, and it's great to be able to really get some more rigorous data in this area and, and be able to give clinicians and, and, more importantly, patients a better handle on what to expect when they undertake or plan a, a withdrawal. And now you touched on it there a little bit, but how do you see your findings filtering down to patients and, and influencing their decision-making? I, I think they may have some impact. Uh, the, the other thing which is important to say is that there was this third arm also in the spare trial because it, it was a three-arm trial. And actually the, the third arm, which was the one where we stopped the immunosuppressant, so we de-escalated also somehow in that arm, but continuing the, the infliximab, continuing the anti-TNF, but stopping the immunosuppressant. And this arm did very well. It did uh, really very similar as, as, as far as the outcome, primary outcome and secondary outcome, as the, the arm actually uh, continuing both therapies. So this highlights that in these categories of patients who have been in long-term sustained remission in combo therapy, stopping the immunosuppressant after a certain certain time uh, may be something of value because you, you will indeed de-escalate therapy, limit the risk and, and have the same clinical outcome. So as far as the impact for the clinician, so clearly it indicates that we probably can uh, uh, contemplate cessation of the immunosuppressant in some patients when they are in combo therapy, but that also that the uh, cessation of the anti-TNF is an option that can be discussed with the patient. And again, I, I, I uh, say that actually we did this survey in France and the, in the USA, highlighting that the fact that the patient may accept some degree of active disease to be able to decrease therapy. But actually, when you look at the uh, data themselves, it is very heterogeneous. And you have patients who would not accept any risk of uh, relapse, and you would uh, have patients who would accept much more than that to be able to de-escalate. And I think that we have to take that into account because at the end, that's the patient who matters, actually. And, and so that's something that should come in the decision at the same time as the assessment of the risks which are linked to treatment continuation on one side be, because of the age, because of comorbidities and things like that, and on the other and the risk of cessation of treatment, because the relapse in some patients may have no consequence, while in some patients it may have some consequence. In some patients may not recapture the, 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 the remission after retreating, 
and they may sometimes have to go to surgery. And we identified some of the patients by one of the secondary endpoints, which was failure of the strategy. And, and those patients who were failing, actually the numbers were very similar in the three arms. So there was no uh, difference between the three arms as far as this uh, endpoint. But those were the patients who could not recapture remission or the patient who developed complication after uh, stopping therapy during the trial. And we didn't see a difference between between the three, which is reassuring. But we also uh, were able to highlight predictors of failure. And these patients who are at risk of failure, uh, we shouldn't uh, try to stop therapy in those patients. And that, that's also uh, something that this uh, study, uh, as I think, has taught us, is that uh, there is a possibility probably to de-escalate therapy, but we have to, st- to assess that individually in each patient uh, to, to make the right decision, actually. I mean, it's a really fascinating uh, set of set of messages there, I think, coming from the SPARE trial. Um, thinking about then future research, what data and what experiments are really still required uh, to, to, to kind of improve the, uh, the guidance of treatment de-escalation? I think that there are two, two important aspects here. The first one is to challenge this concept with new drugs. Actually, uh, infliximab is our first biologic, and that's the one for which there has been the the, the, uh, the majority of the withdrawal trial have been done with that one. But, but actually, it's not the ideal drug because it's an immunogenic drug. And so stopping and starting uh, is associated with an increased risk of immunogenicity, which was not observed in our trial, but it's a theoretical risk that, that, that has been described. Uh, but we have no new molecules which are small molecules molecules, they are not uh, antibodies, and, and there is no risk of immunogenicity. So with these drugs like JAK inhibitors, for example, uh, starting and stopping and starting again would be much easier. Those are oral drugs for which the, this kind of strategy much be much more easy. And the other aspect is that here with infliximab, the combination was with a purine therapy, which is not the best therapy we have today, but which is what we had at that time, I would say. So today we have safer therapy over the long run than uh, immunosuppressant. We have also more effective therapy. So you could imagine a combination between, for example, P19 anti-IL-23 as a continuous treatment, which seems to be quite a a very safe treatment, or even uh, anti-integrin therapy, which also seems to be quite uh, safe, actually. And that would be the the, the continuous long-term therapy. And on the top of that, you would imagine cycles of JAK inhibitors, for example, uh, with with, uh, uh, attempts of withdrawal. So that would be extending the concept of de-escalation and cycles of therapy with new drugs, which are more appropriate for this kind of concept. That's the first important aspect. And the other important aspect for research is to try to improve the uh, management of the patient when they stop therapy. Because when they stop therapy, usually they are in long-standing deep remission, but they still have their genetic predisposition for their disease and for their relapse, which means that we have to try to, I would say, change their behavior and their way of living, which is associated with a risk of relapse, which includes actually, uh, for example, bad uh, alimentation, uh, junk food, uh, which includes 
a bad management of stress, which includes uh, sedentarity and not enough physical activities, all, all these or smoking, all these things have been associated with more uh, uh, risk and, and sometimes more aggressive Crohn's disease. And clearly, a patient who is de-escalating therapy should try to improve this aspect. And we could we could do a, a, a trial where you would have an intervention which is among the patients who are withdrawing therapy and de-escalating, patients who would be a stand, managed standard of care, and the other group where there would be this kind of education and, 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 and strategies to try to improve all these aspects to try to see whether you can also further decrease the risk of relapse by doing that. Wonderful. I mean, so much to take away from that. Uh, a lot of key messages. I hope people are listening and uh, and have a lot of ideas for trials uh, in the future coming out of that. Uh, Professor Louis, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been a fascinating chat. Thank you. Pleasure. You can read the paper on the spare trial online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor Louis and thank you for listening to this episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With wherever you usually get your podcasts.